Those who say they enjoy the Sermon on the Mount have probably never read it in depth. It constantly slaps us upside the head. And if you carefully read through these verses, uh, it is one splash of the icy bucket after another. It confronts us in concise, short forms that grab our attention, convict us deeply, and he certainly didn't waste his time um, with stories over and over again like most of preachers do these days. Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, the theme of the entire chapter is going to be judgment and judging, so he starts right off with that theme and with that statement. Much harm has been done in the church and among Christians by misunderstanding what this verse means on both sides of the fence. And so let's, uh, let's look at it together with perhaps fresh eyes this morning. Matthew chapter 7, he starts off by saying this, judge not. Now I love that because he's assuming that we all do it. Because we all do. Uh, it's like when my grandkids, one by one, run into the room to tell on their, the other grandkid. I rarely listen to it because I know primarily they're all guilty. <laughs> Usually send them off. I don't want to hear it. Because they're all guilty. You never get, get to the bottom of that. Jesus knows we're all guilty of this. So he begins not if you do this, but don't do this. He goes on and says, judge not, gives us our first reason, that you be not judged. Now it's very important at this point to understand what he means by using the word to judge not. And I think we can best understand it by understanding what it doesn't mean. It does not mean here that we are not to be discerning of other people. God has given that as a gift to us to be careful with people. In fact, I know that because in verse 6 of this very same chapter, he says, and we'll get there, do not give that which is holy unto dogs. Don't throw your pearls at the feet of swine. He's not talking about dogs and pigs. He's talking about people. How do you know who's a dog and a pig unless you have a discerning ability? Correct? Uh, I recently, a few days ago, was with a large group of good Christian men out in the woods, and there were two fellows in ministry, and uh, side by side, and I didn't know who was preaching for that Sunday, so I said, fellows, who's preaching Sunday? Neither one of them would tell me, but they told me that they were in Acts 20-something. So I said, fellas, have you ever read William Barclay's commentary on Acts? Because it's filled with history. As I looked at both men, one man looked at me with a look of arrogance and with a statement he made of some tomfoolery and sarcastic tone. I looked at the other man whose eyes were glued on me with an inquisitive look and he asked, tell me about Barclay. Am I not to instantly assume that one of them was arrogant and one of them was open to truth simply by looking at their faces? We can tell these things, 
can we not? Also, you would have to wipe out the entire judicial system of our country. That'd be a nice mess, wouldn't it? Jesus, God set up a, in fact, there's a whole book in the Old Testament called Judges. He's also given the church the ability to discipline. If you look at the church in Acts, you have, um, you have uh, those two, Priscilla and Aquila. No, that's Ananias and Sapphira, those two. Not, it's not good to get those two confused. We had a couple come into the church, and the church was a couple months old, and they, they lied to the Holy Spirit, and Peter said, there's going to be some guys at the door carry you out. They carry them out dead. It's a judgment. We in this church, at times over the years, have had to execute discipline. Discipline and making judgments and assessments in order for the harmony and core. I, I tell you, I wouldn't give you a nickel's, nickel's worth for any parent, or for that matter, any grandparent that will not discipline their children. We are to judge situations, absolutely. So this is not saying that we don't make decisions and judgments in life. Well, what does it say then? What does it mean? that we are not to judge one another. I think it means to the extreme. I think it means with a condemning spirit. I mean, I think it means gavel down, guilty, tote them away, they'll never change, writing people off. I think it means judging because you enjoy doing it. Finding fault because it's pleasurable to you. That's the judging he's talking about here. Who is beyond God's ability to change? God can change. He changed me. He changed you if you're saved here today. He can change anybody. Although we can make assessments about people, they never should be written off as if we were superior to them, which we are not. Well, who is, who is going to do the judging? Because it says, judge not that you be not judged. I'm very curious about that. There are three possibilities. Either it is other people that will judge us, or it is God who will judge us, and there's a third possibility. Maybe it's we ourselves in judging ourselves. Well, let's look at the two possibilities. You had to go on in the verse to figure out and narrow it down. I think we can really narrow it down to one group. Look at verse 1. Actually, verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Notice this pronouncement doesn't have to be with the mouth. It can be in the heart. Rarely do you look at someone and condemn them with your mouth. It's almost always with your heart. And smile as you may, there may be a condemning heart as you shake their hand. I think that eliminates the possibility of other people. 
Who knows our hearts? Other people don't know it. In fact, I think there's a further measure, and I use that as a, as a lead-in, a segue into the next statement. With the same measure that you use, it will be measured to you in the same exact measurement. I mean that to be exact. I think he meant exactly. You give out a pint of judgment, you get a pint of judgment back. Well, no one can do that. Number one, no one knows your heart. And even if they did, what le- we don't know the level of judgment. We can't measure it back. So I think other people are eliminated. What's about the second one? God. Would he not judge us? There again, you have to go back to the definition of what it means to judge not in the kind. By the way, the word judge and judgment is the same Greek word in all the verses. Even in Corinthians, where it talks about judging ourselves that God might not judge us. Same word in Matthew. When you have the same word in a different context, you must take the context and cause that to give you the interpretation. So this judgment in 7.1 is completely different, even though it's the same word as the word in 1 Corinthians. So, if we begin with the thing of hammer down, completely giving, uh, condemning, could that possibly be God? And I tell you, absolutely not. Because of the cross and the sacrifice of his blood, we are free from that judgment if we know him as Savior. And although he may discipline us, that's a different kind of judging than the type of judging this person's, let's not go this person, the kind of judging we do, which is condemning. God doesn't condemn us like we condemn others. It's impossible. So who is left? I would suggest to you it's us. That we are as hard on other people as we are hard on ourselves. That because, well, let's go on. I think it's better for Jesus to say it than me. Look at verse 3. This is a a philosophical question he poses. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? Why do you see the little thing that everybody around you is doing? Why do we notice the wrong in everybody else? Well, we can pin it out. We got it all pegged, don't we? We not only know the problem they've got, when we get close enough, we know the solution and and how they can fix it. One of the harmful things in the church is people playing the place of the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. I recently listened to Chuck Swindoll give... 15 things he learned in over in over 60 close to 60 years of ministry. And one of the things Chuck learned is you can't change anyone. He said you'll come to the ch-. he's talking to a bunch of young seminary students. He said fellows you'll come to a church and there'll be a mean old ornery cuss on the back row and when you leave there'll be a mean old ornery cuss on the back row. You can't do a thing with it? Don't worry about it. We can't change anyone. But man, we can point it out, can't we? We don't know anything about their lives, 
very little about their circumstances. We don't know what happened when they were 12 years old. We don't know what happened to their family. We don't know what happened in their life, but we sure can figure out what's wrong with them. He's asking, why? Why are you so intent at finding what's wrong in everybody else's life? The answer is in the next question. You don't notice the log, the beam, the big giant log that's in your own eyes. In order to look at the speck, I've got to look up over the log and find that speck. We ignore what's inside of us by focusing on what's inside of other people. Man, this thing slaps you right upside the head, doesn't it? The freest person with other people is the person that's free with themselves. The person that can be the most gracious has been gracious with themselves and and receiving the forgiveness of God. The the most gracious, loving person that doesn't point out the specks in everybody else's life has recognized that the big log of this judgmental spirit is in me and it's it's ten times worse than whatever speck you've got. By the way, I'm convinced that the log and the speck are exactly the same size. It's a matter of which eye you're looking out of. What I see in you is a speck. I got a speck too, but for me, it's a big giant log. And what I'm doing by judging and condemning and criticizing you from afar, or at least close enough to see your eye, is wrong. And it's much less than the condemning spirit that I have to put you down and enjoy doing it. A couple things about eyes. you got to be close to see people in the eye. I mean, I see your eyes, but I really don't see your eyes. You might see my eyes more than I see your eyes. But as I get close to you, I can see your eyes. I can see if you're squinting because you need glasses. I can see if they're watering up if you're crying. I can see them dry. I, I can see a lot of things in your eye when I get close, and it's the people we get close to we tend to do this to. I'll tell you something else about an eye. What's the first thing you cover when something's coming at you? You don't cover your forearm. You take your forearm and cover your eye. It's probably the most sensitive area. It's, it's the quickest to heal. Did you know that? But it's the most sensitive area on your body. And that's what we judge in other people. Be so careful with this. You can destroy friendships that have been friendships for a long time by this kind of spirit. This kind of critical, condemning, superiority complex that ignores what's in me and points the finger at others. Let's go on. Verse 4. How can you say to your brother, Let me take this speck. Let me straighten you out. Let me me help you because nobody's helping you. Let me be a real friend. Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your eye. And then Jesus in his kind and most gracious manner says, 
you hypocrites. <laughs> so much about warm and friendly and fuzzy. You who wear a mask, you play a part that's not you when we do this. Oswald Chambers says this. We cannot get away from the penetration of Jesus Christ. If I see the mote in my brother's eye, it is because it is because I have a beam in my own. Amazing, by removing the beam, you see a lot less specks. He goes on and says, it is a most homecoming statement. If I have let God remove the beam from my own outlook by his mighty grace, I will carry with me the implicit sunlight confidence that what God has done so easily in me, he could do for others. I love that. It's the sunlight confidence that what he has freed me from, he can free you from. He can easily do it for you because you only have a splinter. I had a log of wood. This is the confidence of God's salvation gives us and we are amazed at the way he alters us that we can despair of no one. None at all. You hypocrites, first, take the log what log? The log of a critical spirit, the log of self-condemnation, the, the big blockage of not receiving the love and grace of Jesus Christ. You know you're free. Believe like you're free. Believe you're free. Let no guilt and sin hang over you because in God's eyes, it does not hang over you. Recognize with all its ugliness, this critical spirit, and then in the same breath, in the same flexing moment, realize that the grace of God has cleansed all that and taken it away from you. Amen. That's not who I was. That's not who I am. I am free from that. Let him, rem let him remove it from his eye, notice, and then you'll see clearly to actually help people. Then you'll see clearly, it, you won't come at people's specks with this spirit. You'll come with great humility, knowing that you could have the very same stinking speck in your eye. Same thing they're going through. You could go through. But by the grace of God, there go I. Galatians tells us, let those that are spiritual... Restore those who have fallen. Spiritual. <clears throat> Notice he says in verse 6, and we'll close with this. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls. Don't take precious things and throw them at pigs. What is he talking about? You know, he's not talking about dogs and pigs. He's talking about people. Be very careful in what you share with people. Especially when it has to do with spiritual things. Amen. 
Be careful that there's an open door. Now, I'm going to say this. Anybody saved, lost, especially the pagan, to say, share with them Jesus Christ. That's all they need to know. All they need is the gospel. They need to be confronted with Jesus Christ and him alone. Talk to them about Jesus. Don't talk to them about a thousand other things. Don't share your deepest heart with them. They will turn on you and they will trample you. Do not offer help to those who aren't seeking it or are open to it. That's a hard thing. Because a lot of you are rescuers in here and you know who you are without raising your hand. You're rescuers. Anytime something, situation comes in, you're going to rescue. I, 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 this, is, this is a big moment. Are you ready? There, most people don't want to be rescued. That's a hard truth. Most people are where they want to be. Not all, but most. Be careful who you put your hand out to. The rest of that conversation with those two men in ministry was not directed to the arrogant one. It was directed to the one who would listen. And that's not a a judgment of a final judgment to that guy. It's a sense of, you're not open, why share this? It could go south. Because he warns at the end of verse 6, lest they trample them, the pearls, the precious thing, your offer of help, underfoot, and they turn and attack you. Be smart, be wise, wise. So, judge not. Karen and I, when we first started dating, and I share this story with a smile because it's kind of fun to me. This is one of the verses she used in our dating thing. Um, we, uh, we've been dating a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so, and I, I, I would show up on dates with ripped jeans and, you know, T-shirts and stuff, and, and she's, you know, she would dress up nicely. And, and I, I think the straw that broke the camel's back with a, was a, a Gaither Trio concert, which was cool in the 70s. It's not cool now, but it was cool in the 70s. And I showed up with a white pair of jeans that were ripped and got holes in it. And the next time we sat down in her living room, she said, you know, she's very nervous. She said, you know, the Bible says, judge not that you be, and I'm not judging you now. But basically is, you need to up your game on your attire if you want to date me. <laughs> so I went back to the ship and I threw away all those jeans with holes in them and went home and bought nicer clothes. That's not what the verse is talking about. I needed to be judged at that moment. I needed to be evaluated. I, I, uh, I, I told Landon last week, he was over to the house, and I said, you know, today, which was last week, I said, today, Kiki and I have been married 38 years. It's our anniversary today. He says, oh. He said, where are you going to take her out? Where are you going to go? I said, I don't know. I'm thinking about taking her down to the pig in Callahan. <laughs> he, he looked at me like this. 
He said, does Kiki like the pig? He was judging. He was evaluating what he was. We can do that. I ended up taking her to the seafood place, a little upgrade from the pig. It wasn't, you know, the best, but it was better. It's all we could do that night. Stop a spirit. Recognize, first of all, we all have the propensity and possibility and absolutely guilty of being a condemning. And Christians are absolutely the worst. Some guy, sometimes the guy drunk down at the bar is more gracious and kind than church-going people. And if you've been hurt by church-going people that have judged you, forgive them. I guess they know not what they, but they probably do know what they're doing. We're guilty of that. We ought to be the least, we ought to be more forgiving than the drunk in the bar. Because we, we have embraced full forgiveness from full sinfulness. Don't ever forget the pit he took you out of. Because when you go into that pit with somebody else, you could still be there. It's by the grace of God. So stop. Because the one you hurt is yourself. And it's a real revelation to your own heart that if you're hypercritical of everybody around you, you got a beam. you got this big log that you're looking around to see that. Jesus said, get that kind of spirit by my grace out of you. Never walk in it. And then I can use you in the lives of people because you're humble.